0: keeping with tradition, uh, both of the church worldwide and our little tradition over the last few weeks, I'd like to ask you to stand together for the reading of the gospel. This is Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. And this story is why we're here today. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. I think that means they passed out. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. They will see me there. The Word of the Lord. Ah, some of you have been in those types of churches before. <laughs> uh, you can be seated. Well, as I mentioned, uh, the discipline of confession, the practice of Christian confession has a, a rich and varied history throughout the Christian church. Um, And rather than talk about it as as an action that we do, in other words, going to confess our sins to somebody, which not that I don't think that's important. I, I could give a whole separate sermon on why that's important for us to do and it's why it's something that we've lost in our little section of the church. But rather than talk about it that way, I'd like to talk about it in a much more internal and spiritual sense. And I want to talk about confession in two ways. First of all, as a confession of our sin, admitting our shortcomings before God. And secondly, as a confession of our faith. In other words, a statement of what we believe. Now, we've been practicing both of these ways of doing confession throughout this series, throughout the season of Lent, haven't we? Uh, we've been doing the, the confessional the confession of sin that we did earlier in the service. And then on alternate weeks, we've been doing the Apostles' Creed, which is a confession of faith. And in that way, this this series truly has been a season of preparation for today uh, because I think that the very essence of what it means to become a Christian, um, to self-identify as a follower of Jesus, is wrapped up in this one discipline in its two different forms but we'll get on to that later. Um, for now, uh, let's begin with this discipline the same way that we've begun with all the disciplines so far, simply by defining what it means. Um, of course, the most common usage of the word confession comes um, in, like, crime stories, right? We've all watched The Wire or L.A. Law or something like that. But why is that funny? Is that not a... <laughs> Is that not actually a TV show or something? Am I showing how, how dorky I am? But, you know, the, the criminal confessed to the crime. We all are familiar with that language. Uh, incidentally, that's a similar thing to what we talked about with testimony, the discipline of tes- testimony, right? We thought about that. In a, it's easier to think about that in a criminal sense. But for for that, that for this discipline, as with that one, I want to think about it more personally. And, and um, the word confess in English comes from a Latin word that just means acknowledge. And that makes sense, right? If a criminal confesses to a crime, uh, he or she acknowledges that they did it. I did the crime. But, of course, the word has a much more personal and difficult meaning when it hits closer to home. If we use it of ourselves, that is, if we are the ones who have to make a confession to somebody, or if we're the ones who have to receive a confession from somebody. If your spouse or significant other comes up to you and says, I have a confession to make, you know it's time to sit down. Some of us have had that experience. That's, it just makes your stomach turn. And if it's you who screwed up, it's no easier. It's no easier. It's really hard to confess. It takes a lot of guts. And actually, it takes a great deal of trust as well, doesn't it? Because you have to trust that when you tell this person what you've done, there's still going to be a relationship there. And even the word itself, confess or confession, is one that doesn't come very naturally to us. Wouldn't you agree? We don't tend to use that word. You know, instead of saying, I have a confession to make, we might instead make a euphemism and say, I have to tell you something. That's a much easier thing to say, but it's also a much less specific and in some ways less honest thing to say. It's a euphemism. And incidentally, the other word in, that we have trouble using when we ought to use it is Forgive. We always come up with a euphemism for that one, don't we? If somebody apologizes to us, what do we say? "Ah, That's okay. Is it? I don't know that it is, actually. I forget about it. Well, maybe that's not the best idea either. How about you say, assuming you mean it, and you ought to, because it is the command of Christ, I forgive you. That's That's a pretty hard thing to spit out, isn't it? Especially if you're angry. But that is the biblical command, and that is the that is the Christ-like response when someone confesses to you. And so, please don't just say, it's okay. I know it's so much easier to do it, but say, I forgive you. It's much more powerful. So, forgiveness and confession are both very difficult things for us to do. But, The truth is, one of the very first things that you must do if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to be a Christian, is to confess your shortcoming, to acknowledge, using that Latin root again, that without God's grace, you are destined to continue in a life of selfishness and hatred and lust and anger and discord and jealousy, and that this way of life will continue to harm you and pull you down and harm those around you and pull them down and that eventually it's going to lead to your destruction. You have to confess that reality. And for most people, this is where the road to faith really begins in earnest, with the realization of your own failings, which you come to understand are caused by your own sin, by that tendency within us to lean toward evil. And it's in all of us I'm a pretty good guy, except when I'm not. But that confession is a pretty big stumbling block, isn't it? I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big hurdle you've got to clear. It's, first of all, it's very humbling. I'm not sure that I want to say those things about myself. I would prefer to continue to say things about myself that are fairly uh, charitable and maybe slightly lacking in honesty you know, I I treat people pretty nice. I' pretty good, I guess. I don't steal. I don't lie too often. It's, it's humbling and it's intimidating, too. I don't know that I can trust God with that. <laughs> Remember, we've talked about confession as requiring trust when it's another person, but it's sort of requires trust when it's God too. This puts you in the weird position of of believing that you can hide something from God. (laughs) But sometimes we want to pretend that that's the case. And listen, I've got to tell you, God already knows. You might as well (laughs) confess it. And here's the nice thing. It can also be completely reassuring to confess. It can be a total relief. You think, ah, perfection is not actually required of me if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to follow Jesus. In fact, the whole point of following Jesus is that I am imperfect. And so in that sense, confession of sin is quite freeing. If you can get past the part where you have to talk bad about yourself for a minute. So the first step on the road to faith... Is confessing our sin. I would like to suggest that the the final ro- step on the road to faith is confession of belief or confession of faith. Now, let me be careful to say that I, I don't what I, I don't mean that you just have to recite a creed and then you're done, all set. Hit the cruise control for the rest of your life because you've done that. That's not what I mean when I say that confession of faith is the final step on the road to being a Christian. What I mean is that. When you make a a conscious step from unbelief into belief, that's the you know, that is the that is where things really turn. Now, in many ways, that's the beginning of the journey, not the end. It's kind of like you've you've finished the on ramp, and now you're on the highway. It's the last step in the process of becoming a self-identifying Christian. When you intentionally cross from what you were before to what you want to be. It's a little bit like the vows at a wedding. People who are engaged are already committed to each other. On their wedding day that morning, they are fully committed to each other. But when you say those vows at the end of the ceremony, you, you give words to what has already been true in your heart. You make it official. It kind of goes back to that Latin root again of acknowledging what is already true. Saying it out loud matters. And here's why I say that confessing your belief is important, especially when it comes to becoming a Christian. It's because being a Christian is not about doing the right things. It's about realizing and admitting, acknowledging, that you fail at the right things. And it's about trusting in Jesus for your rightness. The biblical term is righteousness, which simply means the state of being right. It's about belief in Him and in the power of the resurrection. Now, the Bible is very clear that our righteousness, our state of being right, comes from our faith. It comes to us by belief, not by the stuff that we do. Because you can do as many good things as you want, and you're never going to bridge that, that chasm between you and a completely perfect holy God. Peter's sermon in uh, Acts 10, which Amy read earlier, that's one of, just one of dozens of places in the New Testament where this point is driven home. Remember what he said at the end of that sermon? All the prophets testify about him, being Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's why confessing your faith is so crucial. It's because faith is what it's all about. That's where it begins and ends. And any Any works that may come after that are an outflowing of that faith and the grace that comes in believing. Like that we sometimes sing that old Curtis Mayfield song here at Artisan. Um, People get ready. And it says, faith is the key. Open up the doors in boredom. But when I talk about belief as being central to becoming a christian i don't mean to give you the impression that you have to have everything exactly right perfect understanding in order to follow jesus i mean one look at any of his original disciples peter included peter was like the king idiot right and certainly any look at any of the modern day disciples of jesus that you see in this room should should calm the fear that you have to have everything figured out perfectly you have to have ultimate and unsurpassing understanding of all the things of faith and of God in order to be a Christian. Um, If that were true, I would not be here this morning. Um, I would have found a different line of work. So I quoted Peter's sermon a minute ago, and I want to quote for you another sermon now It's a, uh, a sermon by one of the early church fathers, St. John Chrysostom. And if you've been here for any length of time, you've heard us quote this guy before. Uh, Chrysostom means golden mouth. He was the most famous preacher of his day. He had all these flowery words. Now, Peter, part of being the king idiot is that he's very direct. I mean, not that people who are direct are idiots, but... Um, I mean, some of you are, but... <coughs> not everybody. Um, but Chrysostom is much more flowery and uh, wordy. Now, there are Peter people, <laughs> and there are Chrysostom people. Some people just want you to give it to them straight, and some people like the, uh, the poetry. Um, I'm a Chrysostom sort of person, but you Peter people, I already gave you your quote. So, uh, Chrysostom was giving a sermon on the gospel passage that we read, which was Matthew 10. Is it 10? Did I get it wrong? Yeah, Matthew 28, 1 through 10. Um, do you remember the women, after they had received word of the risen Christ, were making their way back to tell the disciples, and Jesus appeared to them and he's like, yo. <laughs> he said, Greetings, which I think is true. some of the humor that's in the Bible, I think we just we read it so stoically that we miss it. <laughs> um, I like to imagine Jesus just kind of like, hey. <laughs> um, But they were gripped with joy and fear, it said, and they fell down and they grabbed his feet and they worshipped him. And this is what Chrysostom says about that encounter. He says, Some among you may desire to be like these faithful women. You too may wish to take hold of the feet of Jesus. You can, even now. You can embrace not only his feet, but also His hands and even His sacred head. You too can receive the awesome mysteries with a pure conscience. You can embrace Him not only in this life, but also even more fully on that day when you shall see Him coming with unspeakable glory with a multitude of the angels. If you are so disposed along with Him to be compassionate, you shall not only hear these words, greetings, but also those others, Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. I love what he says. You too can embrace him even now. This was a few hundred years later, and now we're a couple thousand years later, but I think those words still stand. You too can embrace him even now. How? By first confessing your sin and then by confessing your faith, your belief in Him. So we've already done the first part together. We've already confessed our sin. And what I'd like to do in a minute is to say the confession of faith together. And we'll use, as has been our tradition, the Apostles' Creed. And I think it's entirely possible that for some of you, maybe um, those of you who've been trickling in and out here with us for the past few weeks, and you've, you've been beginning to feel your heart strangely warmed, to use the John Wesley term. Um, you've be- begun to, to hear God's gentle but persistent call in your life. For some of you, this may be an opportunity to say the words of the creed and make that be for you the very first instance of confessing a faith in Christ. And in that sense, it would be like a little mini-conversion happening, just as you say those words. You'd be making a conscious decision to embrace him even now. And of course, for others of us, this is a restatement of our faith. And please don't let me give you the idea with today's message that confessing sin and confessing belief are only important at the start of your spiritual journey with God. I think they're important to continue to do throughout, and that's why we've used them. But um, Regardless of which group you may be in, and if you're in neither group and just kind of want to sit and pay attention to the words and think about them, that's okay. Uh, but regardless of which group you're in, uh, let me... Ask you to say this creed together with me, and it will be on the screen behind me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day He arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, whence He shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. See, we Christians actually do believe those words, even the ones that seem to indicate the miraculous or the unbelievable. And it's in the power of that belief that we receive God's grace for for our forgiveness and our righteousness and for our healing and the gradual, ever so gradual process of becoming more holy and more like him. So as we respond to God's word today I'd like to offer for you two options you can take one or both and one is our traditional response to the word which is to come around the Lord's table and receive the sacrament of holy communion we do this each week as an act of remembrance of Christ's broken body which is represented by the blood and or by the bread and by his shed blood uh, represented by the, the wine, and we also have an non-alcoholic juice if that's more appropriate for you. We do that every week and receive that as spiritual nourishment, and we proclaim the truths that we believe in so doing. And uh, So anybody who's following Jesus, whether you've been doing that the whole time you've been with us or t- whether that's a new thing for you today, uh, I invite you to participate at the table. And for others... Um, you may wish to pray with somebody. And so I'm going to actually sit up a chair for myself over here, and there's a couple other people who may join me there, uh, members of our prayer team and maybe some members of our leadership team if they're here. Um, and so if if you would like to pray with somebody, we will be over there waiting for you, and you're more than welcome to come and pray with us. And uh, I, I'd especially recommend that if you're a person who has felt that, that, turn in your life just now as you've said that creed. Um, And it's okay to do both too, uh, regardless of uh, how you respond, uh, even if it's just, and again, sitting and and meditating and thinking and praying. um, May you find God at work in your life through that. And we're going to continue to worship Him in song for the next few minutes, uh, and then we'll we'll, uh, have some fellowship together. well, let's pray. First of all, God, we are so thankful for the gift of your son, Jesus, and for the miracle of his resurrection. And uh, Father, I pray that uh, those of us who've been traveling through this season of Lent, preparing our hearts for this day, uh, would truly receive him anew, would truly begin uh, a new life together with Christ as our head. For those who uh, may not have had unbelief and now have stepped into faith in Jesus, we rejoice and give thanks, and we ask for your Holy Spirit's guidance as they navigate these next days and weeks. And for those of us who uh, have confessed faith long ago, uh, may your Spirit speak to us in a way that draws us ever closer to you, that makes us um, inspired to renew our dedication to following you. Uh, And for those who have been here today and, and heard These words and these songs and seen the gospel reenacted and proclaimed but have not quite been able to make that switch go off in their heart and in their head and in their lives. Um, We ask for your continued grace and peace and guidance to bring them ultimately to faith in your son Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So, uh, respond as God leads you. You can sit and think and pray. You can come to communion, or you can come up and have uh, one of us pray along with you. Uh, And let's continue to worship him together.